Good morning. That, that last song we sing is one of, right now one of my favorite songs because, you know, we, we, we celebrate the birth of Jesus, Christmas. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus at, at Easter, but we don't always celebrate that, that, that because of what Jesus did, something was birthed. And what was birthed is this, what we're doing right now was birthed into the kingdom of heaven. And now we get to gather as a result of what Jesus Christ did. This is not a, a, a small moment for us today. This is not a, a, a routine, casual event for us today. The Bible says in Ephesians 5 that Jesus loves the church. I have people that I know that have said to me over the years, well, I, I love Jesus, I just don't like church very much. <laughs> and I, so then I just say to him, so what you're saying then is you love Jesus, but you don't love what Jesus loves. And if we love Jesus, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm married, and uh, my wife and I just back in August celebrated 25 years of being married, and we're, yeah, we're grateful to the Lord for His grace, and I'm grateful that He gave me a very patient wife, uh, and we have, we have four children, and um, uh, I, I, over the years, over 25 years of marriage, I have... I have grown to love things simply because my wife loves them. Now, if it were just up to me, I wouldn't love it. But because my wife loves it, I love it. I spend time in places that I wouldn't normally spend time in. I buy things that I wouldn't normally buy, but it's things that my wife loves. And because she loves it, I love it. And listen, if, if, you, if you can't, I know I'm, t I'm preaching to the choir today. Is it okay if I just preach to the choir a little bit today? Uh, listen, because you know people, you know, and you may, you may have similar conversations, but listen, if, if, you can't, if you can't find loving people a good enough reason to come to church, then at least come to church because Jesus loves the church. Let, let's, let's start there. If he loves it, we're going we're gonna to be a part of it. If he loves it, we're connected to it, right? And uh, amen. So I'm glad to be here. Really, it is an honor for me, and I do consider myself part of the family. So if you would allow me just a little bit of liberty today, I'd like to talk to you as family um, and just talk to you as, as, as if I'm one of you. I feel like I am one of you. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Genesis chapter 28, and I'm going to pray. While you're turning there, I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for this time that we have to gather together with one another and most importantly with you. Lord, we have made an appointment with you and we believe you have also made an appointment with us. And we believe that you have something to say. So we say as the prophet Samuel said, speak Lord, we're listening. I ask you, Father, as the Apostle Paul also prayed, that you would grant to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation to be at work within us so that today we know you better. Today we understand your word better. We leave here today with, a, with, a in, with an increased knowledge and a greater understanding of who you are, who you are in us, and who we are in you. Jesus, we declare that you are Lord over this time. Holy Spirit, have your way. Lead and guide us to truth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, just tell your neighbor how pretty they are real quick. Would you just look them in the eyes and say, you're pretty today. If, if you don't know them, don't touch them. That's weird. Especially right now with everybody on cootie alert. Amen. 
If you are visiting today, let me just um, ask you for a little bit of latitude and grace today. Uh, I am not near the communicator as Pastor Bert, and your life will be better uh, knowing him. So please do not make any harsh judgments about the church based on what I say today. Uh, give the church another chance and come back when Pastor Bert is here. And uh, I, I know your life, your life will be greatly improved um, by sitting under the leadership of Pastor Burt and, and, and Becky Wimberly. Um, they're two of the finest people I've ever met in my life. And, and I know, you know, you meet, these, you meet these people, and I may have said this before, but you meet these people in life. Of all the people that we meet, there are those that when you meet them, you know the value of your life just went up by the type of people that they are. And, and I can honestly say that I know my life is more valuable because I have a friend and two friends named Bert and Becky Wimberly. And then not to mention, I get to know their fantastic daughters, which makes life funny. <laughs> makes it fun. <laughs> yeah, amen. Amen. Okay. Um, before we read, I want to I just tell you a story. It's the summer of 1793 in Philadelphia. Philadelphia is suffering its greatest summer heat that it had ever experienced. The, the, everything green had died. The people were, were sweating nonstop because of the heat. They hadn't known heat like that. Many of the streams had started to dry up, and a lot of them had become stagnant. And not only that, but in that moment, in that summer, sickness came. Sickness came to Philadelphia. Sickness that was later identified as yellow fever. And so the people in panic ran into their homes, stayed in their homes, shut the doors, locked the doors, closed the windows. But it didn't stop the people from dying. In 1793, there were 55,000 people that lived in Philadelphia. And when they started dying, they died first 17 a day, 20 a day, 40 a day, until it reached 100 a day. At the peak, it was 119 people died in one day. And the people were scared. They were hiding. And mosquitoes were everywhere. But we didn't know what we know now about mosquitoes. This was 100 years before Walter Reed and his great discoveries that helped us understand how disease spread. Thomas Jefferson wrote to, John, to James Madison and he said, I am afraid that this isolation, that this, this, this disease, this fever is going to cause famine. The government had actually moved out of Philadelphia. You know, in 1793, Philadelphia was our government headquarters, but the government had left Philadelphia and had moved to Germantown because they thought there's no way that this is ever going to be cured. There's no way this is ever going to get fixed. And they were ready to write off Philadelphia and turn it to an absolute ghost town. George Washington was staying in Virginia just to keep himself safe and his family protected. Dolly Payne, who, who watched her mother die, her father-in-law die, her husband died in her own arms, during this moment from yellow fever. Dolly Payne would later remarry, and she became known historically for us as Dolly Madison. But she lost all that she did, that she had, 
during this period. People walked around with an armband identifying them as the sick, and so no one shook hands. Everybody stayed distant from one another. They didn't have mass media like we have now, 24-hour news cycles. They just knew what was happening in the community, and during that period of just a matter of a few months, it was about a two- or three-month period, 1,400 people died in Philadelphia. And then the autumn came, and the frost came, and the mosquitoes died, and people started getting better. The people that survived, statistically speaking, three in four people that contracted the yellow fever died. But again, they didn't have the news cycle, so no one knew that everybody was getting better. Nobody knew that the disease, the fever, had left. No one knew. But one man took it upon himself and he decided, self-appointed, he was going to bring Philadelphia back. In November the 11th, 1793, this tall man mounted a white horse and began to ride through the streets of Philadelphia, known as the silent streets of death. And he rode through Philadelphia and there was a babble of voices around and people started making noise and people in their houses could hear the noise outside so they'd crack their door. They didn't want to open it too far because they were still living in great fear, but they opened their door to see who might be outside and they saw the man on his horse riding down the cobblestone streets and more people came out of their houses and before long the windows are fully opened and people are cheering and people are clapping and a crowd forms and they start marching like a parade down the street because one man decided that he was going to change it. They had followed him before and they were ready to follow him again. Because that one man was George Washington who decided that he was going to have the courage to come out when everybody else was hiding in fear. You and I sit in a moment that I believe takes men and women of courage. Men and women who will show up to church when other people won't show up to church to say, we're moving forward. Men and women who will be courageous enough to stand up against the voice of fear and the voice of negativity and say, I'm going back. I'm going to live again. I'm not going to let these things control my life any longer. I believe I'm in a room today with such people because you're here. You're here. There are people that aren't. And I understand all the reasons why, and I understand all the safety reasons why, and I understand all the precautionary reasons, and I'm not asking or, or encouraging anyone to, to be foolish and to be unwise. That's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is that it takes the few to bring back the masses. And people of courage don't wait for the masses. People of courage go alone if they have to. They go alone. And I know that, that we're not 
live streaming right now, but this may be seen at some point. And so if I could just say something to those of you who are at home. If you're home because of health precautions, good for you. If you're staying home because of the convenience, get back to church. Come back to church. Get connected to God's house again. The word that the Bible uses as church is a Greek word, ecclesia. This Greek word means a public gathering. You can't find any other definition for the word. It means a public gathering. That means that you and I will never be the church by ourselves. You by yourself cannot be a public gathering. Now you can be a member of the body of Christ, but you are the church when you have gathered with God's people. That's the church. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. Listen, you can't beat the gates of hell by yourself. You need the church because it's the only force, the only power that cannot be defeated by the gates of hell. It's the church. We have to stay connected to the church. And I want to stay on that theme today, if you're okay with that. If you're not, I'm going to anyway, so I don't even know why I said that. I'm trying to give you time to find Genesis 28. I don't know if you found it yet or not, but if you haven't found it at this point, just stop. Maybe they'll have it on the screen. You can look on with your neighbor. Not too close, but you can look on with your neighbor. <clears throat> but I want to I give you a scripture. If you're taking notes, I want to give you this scripture in advance because it's going to set this Genesis 28 up for us. And it's 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. The Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, the pastor, and he says, and he's given guidelines on how church is supposed to be run. And he said, I write these things to you so that you know how to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. So what that tells us, as, as awesome and beautiful as that verse of Scripture is, but what it's also telling us is that when you see the phrase in the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, when you see the phrase house of God, Paul says that is the church. He says everything in the Old Testament is a shadow of what was coming. So when we look at the Old Testament and we see house of God, God is speaking to us prophetically to the New Testament about the church. Because the house of God is the church, Paul said, is the church. So when you read scriptures in the Old Testament, for instance, like 1 Kings chapter 9 and verse 3. If you don't know this verse of scripture, you need to memorize this verse of scripture. 1 Kings chapter 9 and verse 3, God says about his house, therefore saying about the church, my eyes are on it and my heart is in it always. That means right now where you and I are in this room, God's eyes are on us right now. His heart is in this place right now because he said my eyes would be on it and my heart would be in it always. In his house, which is the church. Genesis 28. Story that many of you probably are familiar with. This is a story about a man named Jacob that sees a vision. Genesis 28. Verse 10, I read from the New King James Bible, it's the version Jesus used, so we're going to use that this morning. (laughs) 
No, it's just the version that I use, and if yours reads different, it may just be a different translation. But Genesis 28, verse 10 says, Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set, and he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and it, its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? Now listen to these words based on what I've already said to you. Listen to these words. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. I find some things here that I think are applicable and important for us as the church today. There are three specific things that, that are mentioned here that I want to point out from this passage of Scripture about the church. Jacob says, this is the house of God. What I have just experienced, what I have just seen, what I have just walked through, what I just heard can be nothing other than the house of God. So again, symbolically, this has to be talking about the church as well. So there are, there, are some, there are three things I want to point out to you. If, if, if you're taking notes, you can write these down. Number one, this tells us that the house of God, the church of the living God, the church must be a place where God speaks. And we must come to church with an expectation that here is the place where God is going to speak. That doesn't mean to say that he doesn't speak to you anywhere else, but God clearly does something unique in church that he doesn't do anywhere else. That very likely may be the reason why you're here today and not sitting at home, because you know something unique happens when we gather together, and God speaks. He speaks in the place where his people gather. Titus chapter 1, in verse 3, the Apostle Paul says, that God in due time, in this due time, has chosen to reveal His Word through preaching. That means that when you come and a preacher preaches, God is revealing His Word to you. And according to John 1.1, His Word is Him. Therefore, we can also say that God is revealing Himself to you when you hear the, the Word of God preached. So I would, I would just encourage you and invite you to think this way, that, that, that the, the preaching of the Word of God is not as much about the preacher as it is about the preaching. God is not revealing Himself by the preacher. He's revealing Himself by the preaching. So we like our favorite preachers. We have our preferences. We have our guys that we like to listen to and the ladies that we like to listen to. And we have people we've heard, we're like, nah, they're okay, they're not that good. They're not as good as this guy, or they're not as good as that lady. And we have our preferences, but I'm just saying to you, listen, can you put all that aside and say the Word of God is being preached? Therefore, in this moment, my hearing the Word of God, God is revealing Himself to me. Doesn't matter who's saying it. If, if there's preaching going on, God is revealing Himself and His Word to us. 
and church is to be that place. Church is the place where God speaks. My hope today is that every one of us leave here today having heard God speak to us. And he's really amazing in how he can do that. My brother and I were talking recently. My brother's also a pastor, for those that don't know our family. It's kind of our family business. My dad is a pastor, my brother is a pastor, my sister and her husband are pastors. My grandma started it all, but she started as the church piano player and Sunday school teacher. Now, my brother and I were talking, and we were talking about how God speaks when we preach and, and how unusual there's an unusual dynamic that goes on. And my brother said, yeah, let me tell you a story that happened to me recently. He said, I preached at church, and at the end of the service, one of the guys in his church came up to him and said, Pastor, I just need to talk to you. You know that part where you were talking about how husbands talk to their wives? He said, man, I was talking to my wife ugly this morning. And he, and he said, and I, I, I just, I just want to get it off my chest. I, was talk, I, I don't want to be like that. My brother said, what's interesting is, I didn't say one thing about how husbands talk to their wives. He said, I just preached a message and the Holy Spirit started dealing with him because that's what he does. Every one of us, we're going to walk out of here probably today and all get something a little bit different. We may even hear things that we didn't hear because the Holy Spirit speaks to us. He knows each one of us uniquely. That's why we must have a regular diet of sitting under the preaching of the word so that God will reveal himself to us and we know him better. That's why, that's why in the, in the book of Hebrews, the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Because you get out from under the, preach, the regular preaching of the word. You're stepping away from the revelation of God. Now, I'm a church guy. I love the church. I believe the church of Jesus Christ is God's plan A, and there's no plan B. There's no backup plan. He birthed this. This is what Jesus loves. This is what Jesus is building. And what a privilege that we have been invited onto the construction site of the church with Jesus and to be a part of what he is building. What a privilege. The second thing that church does for us, church provides this place where God speaks, but it also becomes the place where you dream. When you start to realize who your God is, faith is increased and you start to dream things you never dreamed before. You start to get a vision for your life that you never had before. As a matter of fact, in the book of Acts chapter 2, it says that one of, the, one, of the, one of the great gifts that the Holy Spirit brings to us is that we would dream dreams and see visions. Now, I would also submit to you that that happened when the people gathered. There's a verse of scripture that we use out of Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31. Isaiah 40 and 31. Um, it, it's, can, I, can, I, can I give you a Bible study lesson for just a minute? Can you, can you put your student hat on for a second? Um, I, I love these little facts about the Bible and little, little truths that we find in the Bible um, that show design to the book, not just a random collection of books, but, um, but there's a design to this. The Bible is, has 66 books. There are 39 in the Old Testament and 27 in the New Testament that make the whole entirety, 66 books of the Bible. Um, the book of Isaiah 
has 66 chapters in it. And what's, what's really fascinating is that for the first 39 chapters, it's all Old Testament prophecy. And starting at chapter 40 going forward for the remaining 27, it's New Testament prophecy. Isn't that amazing? I don't know, that tells me there's a lot more going on to this book than just some guys that wrote down some neat thoughts. There's a lot more happening here in this book. So Isaiah 40 is a New Testament prophecy. It's actually the first chapter that begins the New Testament prophecy. And in verse 31 it says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They'll walk and they will not faint. You familiar with the verse of Scripture? It uses this word wait, they that wait upon the Lord, they that wait upon the Lord. That sounds like those that just sit around and twiddle their thumbs and just, just expect, don't move till God does something. But that's actually not what it means. If you had a Bible help book, you could find your Hebrew word that's used there, the Old Testament written in Hebrew, and you pull out your Hebrew dictionary and you would find that word wait means to gather together in hopeful expectation. So he says, those that gather together in hopeful expectation will have their strength renewed. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and they will not faint. I believe and therefore I prophesy to you, you're getting stronger just sitting in this room. Your strength is being renewed just because you're in the house. Your, your strength is coming back. Your energy is coming back because you're with God's people gathered together in hopeful expectation. And in this place, we dream big dreams. In this place, we have big vision. If your dream and vision for your life doesn't freak you out just a little bit, it's probably not God's. And you need to ask Him for something bigger. Because His dream and desire for your life should make you just a tad nervous. <laughs> Trying to figure out how is this going to happen? How is this going to come to pass? But let me say this to you, there is a, the old saying says that there is such a thing as the paralysis of analysis. And I don't want you to get stuck there because there's, there are people that get stuck, there are Christians that get stuck in this place because they start to ask the question, are the dreams that I have, are they God's dreams for my life? I'm here to tell you, the dreams in your heart are God's dreams for your life. Stop arguing about it. Stop questioning it. You are a follower of Jesus Christ. The Bible says he will give you the desires of your heart when you delight yourself in him. He has placed that dream on the inside of you. Stop wasting time trying to figure out if it's you or him and run after that thing as if you have a right to do so. Can I give you another verse of scripture? I, I don't have these in my notes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Can we just, can we just run here for a minute? Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Just write this down. It says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made you free, and do not take up again the yoke of bondage. It's interesting to me. The language is interesting to me. I'm, I'm a stickler for semantics and when I read things. And so this says that, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ made you free. Sometimes we make liberty and freedom the same thing. But Paul says that Jesus Christ used liberty and freedom became the byproduct he used liberty to make you free so if he used liberty to make you free then liberty and freedom cannot be exactly the same thing so I got out my Bible help book in the New Testament written in Greek what you'll find about the word liberty is this it is the right and the privilege to run after the pleasures and promises of God like a citizen and not as a slave 
Jesus showed up on the scene and he said, I've now made you a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says you were translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. And you were brought into a new kingdom instantaneous. And in that kingdom, there are rights and there are privileges and there are promises. And you have by liberty, you have the very right to run after and to go after every single pleasure and every single promise that God has made as if you have the right to do it like a citizen. I'm a citizen. Did any of you get up this morning and call the White House to make sure that you still had the freedom to come to church? Did anybody call the governor this morning and say, hey, I just want to make sure, is I, do I still have the freedom to get in my car and make my own decisions and go where I want to go? Anybody make that call? No, you got up and you acted like a citizen. And this is what liberty's telling us. Act like a citizen in the kingdom of God and receive and go after every pleasure and every promise that he has for you. Dream big dreams. Ephesians 3.20 says he'll do exceeding abundantly above it. All right, I'm running out of time. I've got to hurry. If I talk fast, you'll listen fast, right? Just turn it up. Speed it up. We've got to go. I have a lot. Look, I have two pages, and I'm just now right here. I still got to get to here. I've got I to hurry. I got to hurry. The third thing. The third thing. Church is a place where God speaks. Church is a place where you dream. And church is a place where the lost are saved. And I find this when he says, this is none other than the house of God, the gate of heaven. Church is the place where heaven meets earth, and those that don't know God find him. Now I want to ask you a question. Let's just think for a minute. If, if there was a literal gate to heaven, I, I mean you, you, you open the gate and you step from earth into heaven, Earth, heaven. Kerrville, heaven. How many of you would want to see it? How many of you would want to go, even if it costs money to go? Okay, what if it's in the deep, dark recesses of the Amazon jungle. Would you still want to go? What if, what if it, it's at the top of the Himalaya mountains where there's hardly any air? Would you still want to go see it? Come on, I'm losing you. Would you want to go? Would you want to take people with you? What would you be willing to pay This tells us that literally right now, the house of God being the gate of heaven, right here in Kerrville, Texas, October the 4th on Sunday morning, right here is the gate of heaven. What would you do to get people here? What would you pay to get people here? How many times will you show up? Do we keep, treat it nonchalantly? Do we treat it too casual? Do we, do we just say, nah, I'm just, I, I worked too late last night and I, I don't know. We're talking about the gate of heaven. Who would we want to get there? Let's get them here so that they can have that encounter of heaven meeting earth. There was a study that was done in the United States two years ago by an independent polling agency, and what they found was 
because it, it was sparked by another statistic that a medical society did, and what they found is that people that go to church routinely are happier, have less stress, and live longer. <laughs> we have a promise from God that he would redeem time to us. I mean, that, that means that faith in him is just, is just adding years to the end. Stacking years. And they, they, they have found that they, they, because of the lower stress, they've also found that lower heart disease for people that go to church regularly because of the decreased stress. So this sparked this other study and found out why don't people go to church? If this is a place where people are healthier and they live longer, why aren't more people going? So they did a poll and they found out several things, but one thing very interesting that they found is that of all the people that they polled, of all the people that they polled, 80% of the people that they polled said, these were, these were people that did not go to church. Okay? They only polled people that did not go to church. And they found that 80% of them said that they would go to church if someone that they knew went to that church and invited them to come to that church. We sometimes live with a nervousness that people are going to say no. I'm telling you they're more inclined to say yes if you just invite them. The statistical numbers say they would, they would much rather say yes than no to you. But here's the key. They said they would go if someone they knew went to that church and invited them to that church, which tells us that they're more likely to say yes because of relationship. That means we, got, we have to get to know some people that are not necessarily in our box. And that relationship opens a door for them to say yes, to come to the gate of heaven. Of all the people, an organization called Christian Equippers International does an evangelistic studies, and what they found is that all the people in a year's time that give their hearts to Christ, 95%, by far the highest percentage, 95% of the people that give their hearts to Christ gave their hearts to Christ when someone invited them to church and they said yes at church. That's why I say this is plan A. It's the most effective way to win the world. It's the most effective way. Okay. <laughs> but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay on this for just a second. I'm at the end of page one. <laughs> but I'm going to have to start bringing this plane in for a landing. Don't gather your purse yet. We hadn't started the descent, but we're, <laughs> we're thinking about it. This all hinges on relationship. We serve a relational God. He didn't redeem us remotely. He chose to be among us. He chose to be human. To connect to us. Because he's a relational God. This is a relational faith. He didn't come to start a new religion. He came to grow his family. And when I think about my family, as I said, my wife and I have four kids, and over the years we've taken Christmas pictures, and I look at a Christmas picture when it's me and my wife and our first daughter, and it's, and it's a great memory, but something's missing. And then I look a few years later, and it's me and my wife and my daughter and my son, and it's a great memory, but, but something's missing. And what's missing is the other two daughters that we have. 
the picture's not complete. And I just think about the grand family picture, because this is a family that we're in. I think about the grand family picture in eternity. And what does the eternal family picture look like? And how many faces are still missing that when God sees the family picture, he says, something's missing. That it's waiting on us to be those voices, to be the hands, to be the feet, to bring people into the house of God, into church. We can't forget about the relationship. Isolation, while I understand the value of it at times, isolation is dangerous. I don't know if you guys have seen any of these studies, but since we have begun shelter in place and the isolation that has kicked in, suicides have increased, um, addictions have increased, uh, domestic violence has increased. Um, I saw a study that said the, the mental health hotline that the government provides, the mental health hotline, calls have increased 827%. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 1 says, He that isolates himself seeks his own desires and rages against wisdom. Isolation is never an answer. It's never good. The very first time God said something negative about humanity, is in the book of Genesis. He created the heavens and the earth, and he said, that's good. He created the stars, he said, that's good. He created the sun and moon, he said, that's good. He created the grass, he said, that's good. He even created man. Women, think about this. He created a man and said, that's good. <laughs> Be easy on him. But then one day, God observing his wonderful, good creation, and he said, something's not good. And he said, it's not good that man is alone. Now, I told you to take it easy on the men, so let me, let me give something for the ladies. God looked down on the earth, and he saw a major problem. And his solution to that major problem was a woman. Sir, I would submit to you, she's not the problem. She's the answer to the problem. I'm not trying to pander to the women. Guys, don't get mad at me. I'm not, I'm not, trying, to, I'm not trying to cause fights over lunch this afternoon. <laughs> but I would also say to you, when God decided to redeem mankind, he looked down on the earth because he needed a partner. And in order for him to fulfill the plan of redemption, it had to be a woman. They're not weaker, they're not less. Okay, I gotta finish with this. I'm finished with this. Okay, now, now, now we've started the descent. <laughs> I still feel like I got time because there's no piano player out here yet. So I feel like I, I feel like, man, maybe I'm ahead. <laughs> Acts chapter two and verse forty-two. If you go to Acts chapter two, verse forty-two, I want to show you how churches behave. You ready? And how you and me as the church should live our lives. This is how we are to build our lives. Acts chapter two. In verse 42. I still hear pages. I'm waiting. The nice thing about digital stuff is you don't have to wait for them because you can't hear the pages turning. You just go on without them. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. This is a... 
the church. And the Bible says that this church that was living like this was growing like crazy. It went like this. If you look at the math, it says that 3,000 were added, then 5,000 were added, and then the church multiplied. It reached a point where they couldn't even keep track. 3,000, 5,000, and a whole lot. And then they just start, start, stop numbering it at that point. And the church is growing. But the church is growing because the church is being the church. And here's the four things that it says. And, I, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use some, some more common language with you that maybe, maybe will help. But it says that they, they stayed steadfast to the apostles' doctrine, which means that they found themselves in God's house. The apostles were teaching at the church. They stayed connected to God's house. The second thing it says is fellowship, which means connect groups. The Bible says they met publicly and house to house. You need to get in a connect group. You need fellowship. The Apostle John said it this way in 1 John. He said, if we are in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all uncleanness. What? That means that we can just hang out and fellowship with one another? We can fellowship together and the blood of Jesus goes to work cleansing us? Yeah. That's, what, that's the promise. Connect groups aren't just looking for another reason to get you into the Bible doing a Bible study. Okay. Number three. Number three. And this is my favorite one. This is actually my favorite one. Number three, breaking bread. That means they are hanging out together. For no reason but to just hang out. There's no agenda. There's no Bible study. There's no lesson. There's no note taking. We're just going to sit down and eat together and spend time with one another. This is how the church, the church puts priority on the church. Listen, if you're going to hang out with somebody, hang out with church people. If you need advice for your lives, stop asking stupid people. I mean sinners. I mean the lost. I mean, let me just rephrase that. If you need advice for your life, ask Christian people. They'll help you. Hmm. I didn't mean to call them stupid. <laughs> kind of. It's kind of like I, I, married couples ask their single friends for advice. I'm like, what's the matter with you? These people are dumb when it comes to marriage. You don't know anything. Why are you asking dumb people to help your marriage? Now, they're not dumb because they're single. They're dumb because they ain't married. And, 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 and listen, listen, if you know a guy, if you know a guy that has been unmarried for a long time and he's older in his age and he's unmarried, you know, and I know, he's weird, okay? All right, let's go. Cool. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that's terrible. That's terrible. Uh, number four. I am never gonna get invited back, I'm sorry. Number four, okay? Number four is prayers. Jesus said my house will be called a house of prayer. Listen, if you, need, if, you need, if you need people to pray for you, call your church people. Stay connected. Bring those things here. We pray together. We spend time together. We talk to God together. We pray together. Don't, don't just pray by yourself. There is a time for that. The book of James even says so. If anyone afflicted among you, let him pray. So there's a time where you're supposed to pray by yourself. But then it says, if there's any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. There's a time where we gather and pray. Pray with God's people, okay? Landing gears out. I'm gonna give you a verse to just write down. This is the moment just before Jesus is to begin his journey to the cross. It's called the Last Supper or the Passover. 
Jesus has already, the Bible says, he's already aware of what's happening. He's already aware that, that things are unfolding. The sin of the world, the stress of the whole event is already coming on him. And in Luke chapter 22, verses 14 and 15, Jesus says to his disciples, he said, I have so longed to be here with you. You see, when Jesus was feeling the stress and know, knowing, knowing that he was about to face major hardship and trouble, the thing he desired the most was to be with other people like him. He didn't run from them. He didn't hide from them. He didn't isolate himself. He went to them. He went to them. Turn to God's house. Stay connected to God's house. Listen, encourage people. Again, I know I'm preaching to the choir. You're here. But I'm saying this to you to remind people of the importance of this moment. Remind people of this. This is, this is not just a, a routine thing weekly event this is a moment with God himself let's take the church in, its, in, in our hearts and place it in the highest priority Jesus birthed this he died, he rose from the dead and he birthed the church that's how it happened in sequence let's not take lightly the church we need each other. If I could say this, we need the church. We need the church.